we just got the inflation numbers essentially hot off the press this morning. So the U.S. CPI numbers in December came in at 7%, which is the highest reading since 1982. And as we all remember, early 80s and late 70s, that's when we saw really high inflation hit the market. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. As investors begin to put Omicron fears in the rearview mirror, another market challenge looms, rising inflation. In today's episode, portfolio managers Chris Heeks, Alfred Lee, and your host Mark Rays discuss inflation risks and outline strategies to hedge against them. They also provide insight into the strong performance of BMO's core ETFs in 2021, discuss which ETFs surprised them last year, and highlight the stability of Canadian banks going into 2022. Before we hear from the team, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. Hello, and welcome to our BMO ETFs weekly insight call with our team of experts. I'm your host, Mark Rays, head of product for BMO Global Asset Management. I'd like to thank everyone for joining us today, back for our first call of the year. Certainly a lot going on in, in markets and in the ETF world. So great to have you on for the call and appreciate your time. We're joined today by Chris Heeks and Alfred Lee. Both are portfolio managers on our ETF desk and can cover a whole lot of topics. So thanks to both of you for joining us. Thanks, Mark. Good to be here. Happy 2022. <laughs> yes, Happy New Year indeed. Well, let's get right into things because we've got a lot to cover. We've got the year-end year flow numbers in on ETFs, and it was another record year in 2021. Now, we all like to get caught up in the new launches and talk about market returns. But when I look at the ETFs that sit on top of the flow tables, the majority of flows still seem to head to the core ETFs. For advisors that are already using ETFs in their books, particularly I'd say the equity ETFs, what continues to drive flows to these core products and how does it benefit them and their practices? If you can put it in context, how does an ETF like ZSP or S&P 500 get get used, considering that advisors have a lot of comfort with North American markets. Thanks. Yeah, so uh, I can take that one. But, you know, definitely another banner year for the Canadian ETF industry. So $53 billion flowing into the ETF industry in Canada. So uh, year over year, that's a 27% increase uh, from what we saw last year. Uh, keep in mind, 2020 was also a record year as well. But I think the three of us on this call remember not too long ago, I think, you know, definitely within the last 10 years when the entire industry was less than, you know, $53 billion in assets under management. Um, but, you know, as you mentioned, I think the Canadian industry or the ETF industry in Canada has been, you know, well known for bringing a lot of innovations to the table. Um, in the last 10 to 15 years, we've seen a lot of innovation, um, but surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly to some, a lot of these core beta ETFs continue to dominate a lot of the flows. I think in terms of, you know, what's driving flows to a lot of these core ETFs is that when you look at a core ETF like ZSP, there's just a lot of different applications and, in, in, you know, many different ways and you can use an ETF or a broad beta ETF. So I think the audience for a core ETF is, is 
you know, extremely wide. And the user base for these ETFs is, um, you know, very considerable. So when you take ZSP, for an example, which is our S&P 500 ETF, you know, the user base, as I mentioned, is very diverse. So when you look at, you know, the retail users, there's advisors, do-it-yourselfers, robo-advisors on the institutional side. We have, you know, asset managers, family offices, large pension plans, hedge funds, or whatever it may be. Um, so I think, you know, the way I put it is that when you look at a lot of these core ETFs, they're essentially a gateway ETF. So in the last year, for example, um, I had many discussions with a lot of advisors that were starting to use ETFs. And the reason why they started is because as the market continued to rally, we've seen, you know, a pretty significant increase in the S&P 500, um, pretty good gains in the in the TSX last year. And as money was flowing into their accounts, so as clients were putting money to to work into their accounts, they essentially had to put that capital to use um, right away as the market was rallying. So, you know, the most efficient way of putting this capital to use is essentially using an ETF. For an ETF, you have, you know, a very cheap management fee. So for the ZSP, you could get it for eight basis points. Um, it's super liquid. You can transact in size. So a lot of our, you know, asset management asset manager clients essentially use uh, ZSP and they transact literally, you know, hundreds of millions at a time. Um, so it's super liquid. And last but not least, it's transparent. So if you're putting money to use, um, I think you, you know, you have to know what you're investing in. And with ZSP, because of the transparency and because of these core beta ETFs, you know exactly what you're getting. You know uh, what's in the index, what it represents, et cetera. Um, but I think, you know, having a lot of these discussions with a lot of these advisors, I think the experience they had when using these ETFs is that they instantaneously see the benefits of using them as part of their business. So, for example, uh, one of the benefits is that is that they're scalable. So for um, small accounts or larger accounts, advisors that are using models, they could, they could equally apply these ETFs to their small accounts and, and larger accounts. So they are extremely scalable. Um, they're super liquid as well, you know, for... Uh, as I mentioned, you know, even our largest investors can transact in size using ZSP. Uh, and as I mentioned before, the investor base is so diverse, you have many different types of investors using that ETF. So that liquidity pool is very diverse. So, you know, when a hedge fund is buying or selling, for example, an advisor could be going the opposite direction. So in, in most cases, it's not a directional market, which adds to that, you know, secondary market liquidity. So for ZSP, what you find is that you know that bid offer spread is you know tighter than the average bid offer spread of the underlying market, and you know another couple of good examples why I think advisors are using you know core beta ETFs like ZSP. And I know we're talking about ZSP, but for international markets, you know you could get exposure to you know things like emerging market equities, uh, the MSCI EFI, you know Chinese equities through something like ZCH. Uh, in local trading hours. So as advisors are, you know, building that portfolio during office trading hours, they could essentially do it, do it during their own uh, working hours. And I think last but not least, I think one benefit of, you know, things like uh, one of the benefits of ETFs like ZSP is that, you know, that FX cost. So for ZSP, because it trades in Canadian dollars, um, so even though advisors are very comfortable with owning you know, North American stocks, they own, you know, Canadian listed equities and U.S. Liquid, uh, listed equities in their portfolio. When they buy ZSP and they get that U.S. exposure, they're transacting in Canadian dollars. So, um, you know, when they buy ZSP, what happens is that capital, uh, 
you know, once we have it in the portfolio, we essentially, you know, convert it into a U.S. dollar using an institutional rate. So, you know, those cost benefits are essentially passed on to the end consumer. So I think that FX transaction cost is a huge benefit for, you know, broad-based ETFs and just Canadian-listed ETFs in general. Um, you know, literally, you know, that cost of the FX could be, uh, if you're doing it on the retail desk, when buying, you know, a U.S.-listed ETF or a U.S.-listed security, that cost could be, you know, multiple times higher than that ETF. So I think there's many different reasons and why core beta ETFs still do extremely well with, a, with advisors and, you know, the, the broader user base. But, you know, those are, those are some of the examples, I'd say, that were driving flows in 2021. Great. Thanks for that, Alfred. And I'd be remiss not to mention that BMO ETFs were at the top of the table again this year, and that's certainly helped by by large core ETFs like like ZSP. I think you really hit it talking about uh, FX conversion, because that can always be a hidden cost. The explicit cost as well, the, the fees of these products, you know, you're really getting institutional pricing, uh, no matter what type of investor you are in that that certainly helps the appeal of the products as well. Save the date, BMO podcast listeners. Starting January the 27th, the BMO ETF team will begin streaming a limited three-part series where BMO experts will share comprehensive research and timely, actionable ideas to position your clients for the future. Register now at BMOETFsForum.com. That's B-M-O-E-T-F-S-F-O-R-U-M.com. Let's look ahead now. Again, we're on our first call of the year, so it's a good time to look at the most fundamental portfolio decision, which is equities versus fixed income. And of course, we've had, let's call it runaway equity markets, at least up to the last little stretch where we've seen uh, vol certainly pick up. Uh, but for advisors, rebalancing has, has certainly meant selling equity for about the last seven quarters. Um, there are risks out there, you know, there's support of the market that we're, we're all aware of, but as well outside risks, you know, you've got the Omicron, you've got what's going on with Ukraine and Russia, you've got China debt risks, other things to worry about. But then fixed income, of course, if you look ahead, you're thinking about the potential of rising rates and inflation. So what changes, if any, are you making to your equity fixed income asset allocation uh, looking ahead to 2022? Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Mark. And uh, just before I got started, I want to acknowledge Alfred on the, the term gateway ETF. I like that one. And, um, you know, certainly, you know, as you mentioned volatility, one further point for ETFs is as volatility has increased, we've seen that ETF adoption and ETF trading trade uh, so much more as, as clients have gravitated to using ETFs to to get those exposures that they want. Uh, but to your question, for sure, it's, um, it's, it's setting up to be, you know, a bit of a challenging year. You mentioned a lot of risks in the equity market and certainly risks, I think, in the fixed income market that we haven't uh, haven't really seen, you know, on at least, you know, the, the perspective of, you know, 150 basis points of rate hikes over the next kind of call it year, year and a half. Um, we haven't really seen that in a very long time. So certainly a challenging year. You know, as as one general, very very general comment. You know, I think it's it's, it's good to remember that equity equity investors get paid to take on risks. You know, if there's no risk in the market, there should not be much return associated with it, right? That's that relationship between return and risk. So risk isn't necessarily a bad thing as long as it can be overcome. You know, and and then just to speak on Omicron, certainly feels a little bit uh, you know a little bit dark in Canada right now to start the year. But you know, if you look at it from a market perspective. 
Um, you know, I, I would almost say the market put the Omicron kind of in the back view mirror, you know, relatively early on in December. Uh, so again, uh, risk isn't a bad thing so long as risk can be overcome. And that's what I think, you know, where I would, where I would navigate that with respect to Omicron. Um, to me, the predominant theme in the markets is, is as you mentioned, the rising interest rates and infr- inflation. Uh, the U.S. has now taken over Canada as being priced in the market as the first to raise interest rates. So the market's pricing in about an 80% chance of a, of a Fed hike in March. Canada's about a 65% chance in, in March. So the U.S. has overtaken that. You know, Jerome Powell was just on... Uh, I believe he was at uh, it was either the Congress or the Senate yesterday, and, and again he's very hawkishly toned for you know the language that we've seen out of him in the past, basically saying we won't hesitate to raise rates to combat inflation. Inflation number just came out this morning; it's at seven percent, so we're obviously at very elevated levels in terms of inflation. So you know, big picture, putting that back to equity and fixed income. Look, I think you have to be a little bit concerned about fixed income right now, rising rates. Uh, we all know move have a negative impact on fixed income bond prices. And, you know, we saw some of that um, occur uh, last year. And I think, you know, when you look out the next year to two years, there's some definitely, you know, looks like we're going to be having significant levels of, of interest rate hikes. So I think, you know, fixed income is going to be negatively impacted by that. I think the credit side of fixed income is it probably does a bit better because, we tend to see those credit spreads come in as, as you know, generally speaking, the economy's, you know, doing well in this scenario. Uh, but always with fixed income, I think, you know, you want to remember is you don't want to just go all in on credit uh, because the true value of fixed income continues, in my mind, to be capital preservation. So that's a very quick run at fixed income. Going back to equities, you know, we actually had some great work by Brian Belsky on the on the uh, inflation side. He's our you know chief strategist at, at BMO here, and um, and you know he ran some numbers. You know, higher inflation is not bad for stocks. If you look at you know increases in CPI, you know those higher increase scenarios are all associated with very strong U.S. market returns. You know, double digit returns. And you know another interesting chart that he ran was you know he looked at over the past call it thirty years or so how the market performs when you're coming off a high CPI level. So CPIs, like we said, about 7% right now. Over time, we'll expect that to go back down to that kind of 2% target that the Fed loosely target targets there. And he looked at those scenarios of CPI, CPI declines. And in all of them, um, you know, the S&P 500 actually averaged a 13% return. So the conclusion is I think equities can be that inflation hedge. Um, so I think, I think overweight equities continues to make sense. And, I, you know, I think that that would be the positioning for 2022. And then we reevaluate that as markets evolve. As rates go up, obviously, fixed income will be more attractive. But for now, I think it's an overweight equities, you know, and then just briefly within equities, you know, the factors we like are, are value, dividends and quality. Um, we've seen that exposure of rising rates kind of negatively impact growth and those more growthy areas of tech. That's something to watch your exposure there. Um, probably a lot of investors sitting on some pretty, you know, amazing tech gains, and that's that's been fantastic. But I think maybe you dial that back down to a market weight if you are overweight, and look more to those value, dividends, and qualities that uh, factors that tend to perform better in periods of inflation, rising rates, and are, and also are still just uh, participating in that reopening trade. So I think that's kind of some big themes to look out for, uh, Mark, in uh, 2022. 
Great. Thanks for that, Chris. Covered a lot of, a lot of ground there. Uh, and certainly the one that you touched on, which is really core to a lot of advisor conversations right now, is the rise of inflation. So maybe we get a little bit more specific there. Can you give me one ETF that you would consider adding to portfolios and just speak briefly as to why you would consider that as a effective inflation hedge? Thanks. Yeah, so, you know, as Chris mentioned, um, we just got the inflation numbers uh, essentially hot off the press this morning. So the U.S. CPI numbers in December came in at 7%, which is you know, the highest reading since 1982. And, and you know, as we all remember, in early 80s and, and late 70s, that's when we saw, um, you know, really high inflation really um, hit the market. So, you know, over the last couple of weeks, I've been reading a lot of people have been saying that we have already seen peak inflation. Um, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. You know, you could certainly say that a lot of the central banks have started to acknowledge that there is inflation and, and definitely, you know, like at least acknowledging that in, in the inflation that we're seeing isn't transitory in nature. And we've seen a lot of central banks start, start to uh, counter inflation by, you know, the Fed tapering. Uh, the Bank of England started to move its overnight rate as, as well. Um, so, you know, the narrative or at least, you know, their approach in terms of managing inflation has definitely changed in the last couple of months. But overall, when you look at, you know, what's been driving inflation, it's, it hasn't been, you know, entirely due to monetary conditions. So I think tighter monetary conditions will help. Um, but a lot of them have been supply chain driven as well. So um, because of COVID, you know, we've obviously seen a lot of disruptions in supply chains. So I think the big question that investors have to ask themselves when, when it comes to inflation is, you know, how do they see the developments of COVID this year? So, you know, in one scenario, they could see, you know, we could continue to see COVID. So right now, as, as Chris mentioned, it's, it's very ominous out there with, you know, Omicron, uh, potentially new variants coming to the market. Um, governments can respond by, you know, using the same policy responses. So some countries are, you know, potentially seeing, uh, you know, more lockdowns, uh, potentially trying to maintain a zero COVID strategy. So right now in Ontario, obviously, we're in a partial lockdown. Uh, Quebec is locked down. Um, but that's going to have a disruption in terms of su- supply chain disruptions, uh, manufacturing and, and whatnot. So that potentially, you know, continues to to keep inflation and elevated. Uh, the other scenario, however, is that a small but you know growing contingent of people are becoming more optimistic and saying that Omicron potentially is the beginning of the end, where you know Omicron has become so contagious that eventually it runs out of people and that it infects, and it has been it has evolved into to something less lethal as well. So, you know, typically when you look at a pandemic, it typically, you know, continues to evolve into something less lethal. So in this case, I think, you know, policymakers potentially start treating COVID as more of an endemic rather than a pandemic. So, you know, economies in this scenario would eventually open up. And then what we potentially run into is a demand side problem where over the short term, demand would outstrip, you know, supply over the short run. So both scenarios, I would say, your inflation would remain elevated if, if not moving higher. So I think um, even though a lot of people have, have been saying that we have seen peak inflation, I don't know if that's you know necessarily true. Uh, but overall, in terms of you know, an ETF to hedge against rising inflation, I think you know first and foremost, I agree you you have to be overweight equities at this point. But in terms of you know uh, a good ETF to own, I think Canadian banks is a good way to hedge inflation. And, and the reason why is because you know typically when you have inflation, that means a steeper yield curve. We've seen that transpire over the last couple of weeks already. So uh, as there's been an expectation for central banks to uh, tighten monetary policy, and we've seen that shift over the last couple of months, 
Um, year to date, we've already seen a widening between the 10 and two year um, yields in Canada. So that term spread is widened 15 basis points year to date already. And, and typically, you know, when you have a wider term spread, that typically is good for banks, all, all else remaining equal, given that banks, you know, borrow on the short end of the curve and, and lend on the long end. But even outside of inflation, I think there's, you know, many good reasons to own the banks. Um, for example, you know, when you look at dividends, uh, BMO raised their dividend by 27 cents on their quarterly dividend. Uh, so that's a 25% increase. Um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see other banks follow suit as well. But even when you look at the valuations of the bank, you know, the P ratios of banks, uh, Canadian banks on average is about 11, uh, 11 and a half times earnings. When you look at the broader markets, it's 19.2 times earnings. So, you know, the valuations of the banks continue to remain very attractive. And even though we are seeing inflation at this point, um, you know, we, we don't anticipate stagflation unless, you know, central banks significantly overshoot in, in terms of tightening monetary policy. So I think at this time, uh, the prospects for economic growth still look very positive. Um, so that means there's going to be a demand for loans, mortgages, um, asset management services, capital markets activities such as IPOs, uh, mergers and acquisitions, which I think overall is going to be good for banks in general. Um, so I think overall, I think banks is a good way or a good exposure to have in your portfolio that is going to hedge against inflation. But even outside of inflation, I think there's a lot of good tailwinds for that sector, even if we hit peak inflation already. Right. Thanks for that, Alfred. And certainly I agree. ZEB is uh, certainly uh, post the the vaccine coming out has certainly been one of the leading ETFs out there. And combine that with the fee reduction that we did last year down to 25 basis points management fee, a very, very compelling story to add that to, to portfolios. You are listening to Views from the Desk, a weekly edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. If you're enjoying today's discussion, we encourage you to listen to our special Quarterly Banks episode. That's episode 106 in this same podcast series, where we take a look at big six Q4 earnings and ETF strategies to access this portfolio mainstay sector. Now let's change gears and I'll, I'll give you guys more of a fun question and maybe you can give me a quicker response on this one. Uh, I want to take a look back and a look forward. And I'll ask you both the same question. In 2021, what ETF surprised you? And then if you look ahead to 2022, what's an ETF that you think could be a real surprise where you might look to add or increase weight in portfolios? Thanks. Thanks, Mark. Maybe I'll uh, start this one off. And, uh, you know, it's hard to pick one for 2021. There's so much going on in the market. So I, I got two. I might have three, but I'll try and be quick. Uh, one was ZGI infrastructure, 26% return in 2021. You know, there's a lot of talk on Biden's infrastructure package. You know, just, you know, as we, you know, kind of our celebrating anniversaries, you know, the anniversary of the new year. Um, it's We've got 12 years on this product at BMO, and it's averaged a 12% return since inception. So this year really, or 2021 really saw a comeback there. Great portfolio completion tool. Uh, I'll mention ZLB, the Canadian low volatility. Um, you know, in a market that was really cyclically oriented, very, very pleased with how ZLB essentially kept up with the TSX return for the year. 23% uh, return last year and 25% less risk. So um, much better sharp ratio and continuing you know, kind of a tradition of really strong performance with ZLB, you know, in a year where maybe it shouldn't have performed as well as it did, it performed quite well. And my last surprise, Mark, was uh, 
was uh, was ZDB, um, and not because it performed well, because we've been we've been talking about it for a year and a half. But I, I this one was for you. I was, you know, a little surprised we cut that fee all the way down to twenty five basis points. So, um, congrats to you and the team, and and and, and you know, delivering a lot of money uh, back to investors on the street. You know, giving them even more reason to use this as a great tool to get a great exposure, and obviously very perspective on ZDB. So, congrats to you on that one. Um, very nice, very nice move for clients there. And then for 2022, I'll just uh, you know the ones that I uh, that I, that I'm going to highlight. I'm going to go with ZDV, Canadian Dividend ETF. Going to go a little bit back to basics here, but again, we talked about the benefit of of equities in this market. And from a factor point of view, having that exposure to value and and also quality, because we're picking really high quality dividend payers within this portfolios. You know, we're talking about the benefits that can have in 2022. Um, solid dose of banks within ZDV, uh, solid dose of, of energy as well that we continue to like. So it's about a 3.8% net yield. Um, it outperformed the index by uh, about three and a half percent last year, and, and we think things look. Um, really well positioned for 2022. And uh, last but not least, if you want a ZDV but a little more income, we have the ZWC. So um, I'm liking those ones for for next year and uh, investors looking to to increase or add if they're underweight. Great. Thanks for that, Chris. I know it's always hard to get you to hold the one. So you, you did the best you could there. Uh, did the best I could. Thanks. Exactly. Alfred, over to you. Sure. Um, so what surprised me in, in 2021, obviously, you know, very difficult to find, um, you know, uh, ETFs that surprised the downside, given that, you know, markets return 20 to 25 percent uh, when you look at the TSX and the S&P 500. But, you know, one that um, surprises the upside a little bit to me, to me was REITs, uh, so our equal weight REIT ETFs that are E. Um, I personally bought this in my personal account in, in December 2020, you know, thinking that, uh, the sector was going to be undervalued for quite some time, and, and my thoughts at the time was that because it, you know, I thought it was going to be trading flat throughout uh, 2021, I could just simply dollar cost average to the position, just build a position over time. Um, you know, my thoughts at the time was that there's going to be a lot of uncertainty around, you know, a lot of the retailer names like Rio Can, a lot of the office operators like Dream, Dream and Ally Properties. Um, but surprisingly, I mean, ZRE returned 34% on a total return basis last year. Um, compared to the 25% return of the TSX. So I still like this trade. I think it's gone up quite a bit. Um, so even though the sector's gained uh, quite a bit over over 2021, when you look at the underlying constituents, um, some of the constituents still are, I would say, undervalued in, in terms of price-to-cash flow basis. So when you look at the long-term cash flow or price-to-cash flow of the REIT sector in general, it tends to be 13.6 times uh, cash flow. But when you look at a number of the names like Artist, Choice, H&R, uh, those are you know a few good examples that I think could get a good lift if we move towards a reopening. And keep in mind, you know, prior to Omicron, the prospects of a reopening were looking pretty good. We're all talking about you know returning to the office prior to Omicron. So my outlook for the REITs is it's still uh, pretty constructive, even though we've seen a pretty good appreciation in the sector. And keep in mind, if we do continue to see inflation. Uh, real property values tend to benefit in inflationary conditions as well. Um, looking forward, I would agree with Chris. Um, I think quality is a good way to play it. I think you know this is an ETF that we highlight very often on the on the call, but you know for very good reasons. I think it's a good core exposure to a portfolio. Um, but just to reiterate, 
why we like it in 2022 is because you know, I think when you look at the bar- market dynamics over the last year, um, we started the year with reopening trade. So a lot of you know higher beta, more cyclical areas of the market were doing well. So things like small cap, uh, things like the value trade. But as the year progressed, I think the market started shifting towards more defensive growth areas. When we look at 2022, it's a U.S. midterm election year. You know, statistically, when you look back at U.S. midterm election years, um, equity returns tend to be a little bit more moderated. So I think, you know, quality stocks are going to be well positioned uh, due to that, uh, especially when you consider that when you look at Biden's approval rating, it tends to be trending lower. It's around a 40 point rating right now. Uh, Typically, when you see a rating that low, uh, there's a lot of seats uh, in the House that tend to be lost. So uh, potentially there is a shift in power in the Senate uh, and the House of Representatives this year, uh, which potentially creates a lot of gridlock. And and it does make passing bills um, a a little bit more challenging. On top of that, you have rising interest rates. We we have the Feds already start tapering. Um, So I think when you look at the stocks in uh, our quality-based ETFs like ZUQ, because we are screening for stocks that have a lower debt load, that rising interest rate is going to be less of an impact for a lot of these stocks. Uh, last but not least, because we are screening for stocks uh, that have a higher return on equity and, and a more consistent earning profile, um, a lot of these earning or a lot of these companies tend to be, you know, leaders in their respective fields, and they tend to have more pricing power, so they're going to be able to perform better in an inflationary environment. So. Uh, ZUQ would be my best uh, pick in terms of what to add to in the portfolio in 2022. Great. Thanks for that, Alfred. We've got time for one more question, pretty topical one that's come in, getting lots of questions from advisors. Uh, In the Globe and Mail, there was a report quite recently that Canada has committed to halt financing to the traditional oil and gas industry. Now, we're certainly looking ahead here. Uh, but is there any immediate concern for an ETF like ZEO, our oil and gas ETF, or is this something you're thinking about more longer term? Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Mark. I think that is a longer term one for sure. Um, one thing that you have seen with the, the, the financing is that the foreign projects have been are kind of the first ones that have gone um, gone unfunded by the government. So. Um, given that ZEO is Canadian energy, that's that's a bit of a benefit there. Uh, but obviously, Ottawa's track record here is a little bit mixed. Um, you know, they talk the talk, they don't always walk the walk, as as you know, politicians are are are, are you know commonly do. Um, but you know, that said, there's there's no doubt. I think there's a multi-decade, and I would say this is this is years and decades, not not quarters and, and years. You know, quarter quarterly um, concern. Uh, you know, there's a transition to underway to cleaner energy. Many of the traditional oil and gas companies are embracing this transition. I think you'll see Ottawa um, continue to um, support companies if you know in in the part of that transition. So that doesn't mean um, you know that many that this kind of that this, that this industry is you know a write off, so to speak. You know, I think a lot are going to transition, and, and I expect them to be supported in doing that because obviously Canada's energy. Energy industry is a you know strong part of the uh, the country's economy, and you know I think it continues to play a strong role. So I don't think it's a you know a necessarily a short term concern, but something to think about over longer term. You know, one thing that comes to mind is just you know ESG, for example, with an ESGA that's our ESG Canada. You know, you get that market weight of energy, but you get shifted to the 
to the oil and gas companies that are embracing the transition and are, uh, you know, um, a little more forward-looking with respect to the, those ESG metrics. Uh, but, you know, short-term dynamics, I, I, I don't think this plays a big role in ZEO. I think the bigger uh, trends that play a role is, you know, economic reopening, this continued cyclical value bias in markets. So I think something to watch over the long term, but um, we'll see how to do that. And there's different ways to approach that. Great. Thanks for that confirmation, Chris. Well, I think with that, that's all the questions we have for today. So I want to thank everyone for listening in. We certainly appreciate your time. And of course, welcome back and Happy New Year here on our first call of the year. And to both Chris and Alfred, really appreciate your comments. Uh, thanks for all those in-depth answers, certainly covering uh, a lot of areas in the market, giving us all good points that we can bring back to our to our own conversations and as we think about our own portfolio construction. So with that, I want to thank everyone one last time and have a great day. Thank you to Mark Rays, Chris Heeks, and Alfred Lee for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard about investment strategies to hedge against rising inflation, including the BMO S&P 500 Index ETF ZSP, which exposes investors to highly liquid and scalable companies. Our experts also discussed the BMO Equal Weight Banks Index ETF, ZEB, as a tool to stabilize portfolios in a year of elevating inflation. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. That's bmoetfs.ca. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.